of some of you big husky guys come help me up, okay? But uh, I'm, I'm just teasing. But, uh, okay, are you ready? I'm ready. Mm-hmm. We believe in walking faithful in the standards of God's Son. Old-fashioned, Christ-like values mark the path our feet should run. Amen. There's no compromise in living as the righteous one. One day we'll be rewarded for the works which we have done. Fighting the good fight of faith, steadfast in saving grace, seeking God's holy face, His will we will do. Standing on principles, God set forth as biblical In fighting the good fight of faith Our strength will renew yeah. Staying focused on God's calling As we're running in life's race Facing every challenge Always through the eyes of faith Winning souls for Jesus marks our goal for victory. This kind comes forth by prayer as we fight upon our knees. Fighting the good fight of faith, steadfast in saving grace, seeking God's holy face, His will we will do. Standing on principles, God set forth as Fighting the good fight of faith, steadfast in saving grace, seeking God's holy face, His will we will do. Standing on principles, God set forth as biblical, in fighting the good fight of faith, our strength will renew. Yes, fighting the good fight of faith, our strength will renew. That's a song that Sister Crow wrote. Um, yeah, you want to do that one? I like this song. Okay. It's taken from Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 8. I can find it. There we go.
This is called uh, Running This Race on God's Grace. We're running this race on God's grace. We're running this race on God's grace. We never feel worthy of the ministry we have, but we're running this race on God's grace. Sometimes people tell me I am not so hot. Musician, singer, preacher, I am not. How the Lord can use me may confound common man. I don't know, but on His grace I stand. I was born a woman. Just like God made me, most times I react emotionally, but this is how God made me, a blessing to my man, just like him, on God's grace I stand. Amen. We're running this race on God's grace, we're running this race on God's grace. We never feel worthy of the ministry we have, but we're running this race on God's grace. This is our testimony verse. Now we are a couple united in God's love, our common goal to live. The Lord above. 
together leaning on the Lord when weariness sets in. God's word has told the faithful we win. We're running this race on God's grace. We're running this race on God's grace. We, we never feel worthy of the ministry we have, but we're running this race on God's grace. Running, running, running this race on God's grace. Amen. chapter number 5, Galatians chapter 5, Galatians chapter number 5, and we're going to begin in verse number 1. I want you to keep your Bibles out. We're going to be using a good bit of text from chapter 5, a little bit in chapter 4, a little bit in chapter 6 today, and maybe turning to a few other passages as well. But I want you... Uh, to try to lay a little bit of groundwork here, I just want to start by saying this, that uh, we're living in a world that is vast in its influence. It tries to make sin and worldliness and ungodliness look appealing. And Satan is Satan's not, uh, he's not dumb. He tries to entice those that are God's children, those that have trusted Christ as their Savior, to go back into the life that they were saved from. And uh, there are three types of people that the Bible speaks about. One of them is the natural man. The Bible says that the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God for their foolishness unto him, neither can he know them, because they're spiritually discerned. And the natural man would be the man that we were before we trusted Christ as our Savior. Romans tells us, Paul tells the Christians in Rome, he said, um, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin. And so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. And when we're born now, after Adam and Eve fell in the Garden of Eden, when we're born, we are born with a sinful nature. And I've told people before, we don't become sinners. We're born as sinners. Uh, we sin because we are sinners. And I've said this so often before, uh, if somebody's good at plumbing, we call them a plumber. If they're good at uh, uh, mechanicing, working on cars, we call them a mechanic. If we call a guy that's good at carpentry, we call him a carpenter. Well, we're good at sinning, and so we're called sinners. And that's what our nature is uh, when we're born. In John chapter 3, one of the most familiar passages in the world, most people uh, know the reference at least, many of them can quote it, uh, verse number 16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. But then it goes on to say, for God, uh, that God came not into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. It says, He that believeth uh, on the Son of God hath everlasting life, but he that believeth not on the Son of God hath, uh, is condemned already. It says He's already condemned. And so uh, understand this, that we're condemned by our sin nature. And we can, we can do nothing in this life 
and go to hell. You don't have to do anything to go to hell. We're condemned by nature. It is, it is part of who we are. And every person in this world, every person in this world, has a need of being saved from their sin, trusting Christ as their Savior. We've preached on salvation many, many times from this pulpit, that it is by faith alone. It is not by our works. It is not by our works. Faith plus anything uh, becomes a work salvation, and that is not what gets us to heaven. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Uh, no man cometh unto the Father but by me. And there's only one. Uh, and so we, there's not, I've heard people interviewed on television, and they say, well, there are many paths to God. No, there's only one. And uh, people say, well, you have a very narrow religion. I said, no, the Bible just teaches a very narrow salvation. And the Bible tells us that there's a broad way that leads to destruction, and many there be that go in thereat. And then it says that narrow is the way, and straight is the way. Uh, narrow is the gate, and straight is the way that leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. And uh, the salvation message is something that is very, very narrow. It's only one way. You have to come in through that single door. There's not one of many that you get to choose. You put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. You trust what He did for you on Calvary as payment for your sin. You put all of your faith into it. I've, I've used this illustration a number of times before. That I'm a pretty pretty big fella. I, I weigh 300 pounds, and you don't need to know the rest. And uh, a number of years ago, I was over at my friend's house uh, for a barbecue on the 4th of July and went out back, and they had these plastic lawn chairs. And he said, hey, pull up a seat. And he was barbecuing on the barbecue, so I sat down, and we were talking for a minute or two, and all of a sudden I heard a loud crack. And the next thing I know, I'm sitting on the, on the ground, and the, the, the chair had collapsed under me. And the reason was I, I just thought that this chair would hold me. So I'm a lot more careful now. Uh, in fact, I was uh, just a few, about, about two months ago, went to a restaurant, my son and I did, and they wanted to seat us out on the porch. And uh, I looked at the chairs, and they had these plastic chairs out there, the same kind of lawn chairs. And I said, no. I said, I'm going to have to have a different chair. I'm not sitting in one of those again. I learned my lesson. And uh, I come in here, and I look at these chairs. We have some nice chairs. They're made out of steel. They're welded and heavy duty, and they're, they've got wood under the, the padding there to hold the, the cushions. And I look at that chair, and I think, boy, that's a... That's a solid chair, and I, I can believe that that chair will hold me. And I can look at it and see it and know the chair well, and I can say, boy, I believe it's going to hold me, but I haven't put my faith in it yet. And there's a lot of people who believe that God exists. They even believe that Jesus came to this earth. I remember talking to a friend of mine, Brian Maloney, a number of years ago. He was 42, I think 43 years old at the time. Sat in his living room for an hour and a half telling him about the Lord Jesus Christ. He'd been raised in a, in a deaf family. His mom and dad were both deaf, and they'd been, he, as a kid, had gone to church, a good, solid Baptist church, but it was a deaf church. And he said, you know how it is, Brother Greg, when you're, when you're young and you're not paying attention and they're not talking, they're just signing. And he said, here I am, a hearing guy. He said, I never paid any attention. An hour and a half later, he bowed his head and trusted Christ as his Savior. But I'll never forget what he said. We went through the whole plan of salvation. We, we talked about Jesus coming to this earth and, and dying on a cross for our sins. And when I said that statement, his eyes got big and he looked at me and he said, so that's why he came. I never forget that statement. I never forget the look on his face. So that's why he came. He said, you know, I've always heard, we've celebrated Christmas, I've always heard that Christ came to this earth 
And he said, I've seen crosses and everything, and he had to die on the cross, but he said, I never knew why. Forty-some years old in the United States of America, here's a man who knew all about Christ, but didn't know why he came. There's a lot of people in this world today that believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, but they've not put their faith in Him for their salvation. I could pull that chair up here today, and I could walk around it, I could push on it, feel it, make sure it's solid, and I could say, boy, I believe that chair will hold me, but I've not put my faith in it. The place where I put my faith in it is when I start to sit down, and there comes a point, and all of us know where it is, because you guys didn't even think about it today when you came in. When you went to sit down, there's always a point where you're starting to sit where you can still catch yourself. Your own strength will keep you from falling. But there always comes a time when you're sitting in a chair, going to sit in a chair, that you pass that, we call it the point of no return. You finally have to resign yourself to the strength of the chair. And if that chair fails, if it's not going to do what it says it's going to do, you're going to fall because that's what you're trusting Can I tell you this? Salvation is not just believing that Jesus can save you. It's trusting that He did the thing that was necessary to save you by dying on the cross, shedding His own blood, went into the grave for three days and three nights, came out of that grave, rose from the dead, ascended back to heaven, took His own blood, sprinkled it on the mercy seat in heaven as payment in full for your sin. And if you put your faith and your trust in what He did for you as your only hope of heaven... That's all that you're trusting is what He did for you on Calvary. It's not your good works. It's not living a good life. It's not joining a church. It's not getting baptized. It's putting your faith in what Jesus Christ did for you on Calvary that saves you. Now, we've taught on that a lot. The Bible tells us if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. Paul said it this way to the Corinthian church. He said, What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which you have of God, and you are not your own, for you are bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God. When we get saved, the Holy Spirit of God comes to live inside of us. We become a new creature. We are the temple now. We are the dwelling place of the Holy Spirit of God Himself. And because of that, there's a ministry that the Holy Spirit does in us. He brings conviction of sin. He brings understanding of Scripture. He is our teacher in Scripture. And I say all that to lay groundwork because as we get to Galatians chapter number 5, Paul says this in verse number 1. He says, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Now, a lot of people have puzzled over this and wondered, well, what was the bondage? The bondage was we were slave to sin. Paul very extensively speaks of this in Romans chapter number 6. If you've never taken time to prayerfully and thoughtfully read through that chapter of Romans, I would encourage you this afternoon when you get home to open your Bibles and read through Romans chapter 6. How that we are no longer a servant to sin. We're no longer bound by sin. We've been made free from sin. We have been crucified to the old man. In chapter 4 of Galatians, I want you to look up just a few verses. Paul's speaking here to the churches of Galatia, and he, he gives an account, he gives a story of the, the two sons that Abraham had. One was Ishmael, the other was Isaac. One was the son of promise. <coughs> and he speaks of the fact that uh, the son that was not of promise, Ishmael, 
was always trying to uh, to undermine Isaac. And I want you to notice this as we get to chapter four, and uh, let's go to verse number uh, let's go to verse number twenty eight for a moment. It says, "Now we brethren, as Isaac was, are the children of promise." But as then he was born after the flesh, speaking here of Ishmael, but as then he that was born after the flesh persecuted him that was born after the Spirit, and he's using this picture of Ishmael who is persecuting Isaac, always trying to undermine Isaac, always trying to to destroy Isaac and his inheritance. Notice what he says in verse number 9, "...even so..." It is now. Now, he's certainly referring to the fact that Ishmael and the the descendants of Ishmael and the descendants of Isaac, even to that day, were having issues. But Paul's trying to make a point here. He's referring to the old nature as that of Ishmael, and he's referring to the new man that rised to walk in newness of life as the son of promise. And this is the illustration, the analogy he makes, the the comparison that he makes in chapter 4 of Galatians. And he says this, that this struggle, this persecuting of the old nature, the persecuting of the Son after the flesh, persecuting the Son of the Spirit, the old flesh, the old nature, is always at war with the new man. It's very important for you and I to understand this, that Paul is saying, you've you've been made new, you've been given a new life, the Holy Spirit of God lives inside of you, And so he begins chapter 5 with this, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free. Be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Don't go back to the old nature. So we have the natural man. Then we have the saved man. The saved man is the one that uh, trusts Christ as his Savior. And all of us can remember that day. If you've trusted Christ as your Savior, there's something about that day when all of a sudden the, the, the lights come on upstairs. We understand and we put our faith in what Christ did for us on Calvary. And it's during those times that it seems to be the most exciting part of our Christian life. We're, we're excited about the new man and the new nature that God's put in us, and there's a zeal there, and there's a, an excitement. But if we're not careful, there will come a time where that excitement and that zeal will begin to dwindle and it will begin to wane. Paul told Timothy, he said, stir up the gift that is in thee. Over and over in the book of Revelation chapter 2, Revelation chapter two and chapter 3, the, the churches that are there, almost all of them, without the exception of only two, almost all of them are, are, are corrected for some things that were going on in the church that should not have been. Because there had come a coldness. In fact, uh, he told one of them, he said, uh, I have somewhat against thee because thou hast left thy first love. The church of Laodicea thought they were uh, well and increased with goods and had need of nothing, and yet they didn't realize that they were poor and wretched and miserable and blind and naked. So there was this tendency to, to grow cold in Christ. And this is not the natural man. We certainly are saved by the grace of God. And aren't you thankful that the Bible teaches us that Christ is the surety of our salvation? So even if we go back into our carnal life, we're still saved as long as we've trusted Him as our Savior. But we become what the Bible refers to as the carnal man. The carnal man. You're one of those three today. 
You're either the natural man, you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, and if there's one thing I could do today, it would be to plead with you with everything I can. Trust Him today. Don't put it off another day. There are some here that are Christians that are saved, they have trusted Christ as their Savior, and they're walking in the Spirit, they're being submissive to the Spirit, they're walking with God, they're spending time in His Word, they're spending time in prayer, and they are making their best uh, effort and their diligence to walk in the way that Christ wants them to walk. But then there are those who have been tainted by the things of this world. They've been entangled with the affairs of this life. They've allowed the enticements of this world, the pressure of this world, to cause them to go back into bondage of sin. Now, folks, we've been delivered from sin. Romans 6 teaches us that. We are not under its bondage anymore. It has temptation that is still there, but the Bible tells us that God has made a way with that temptation of escape. In every instance that we sin and the temptation comes, there is every time, without exception, there's a way to escape it. We don't always choose it. In fact, I've said this so often before, too, that I don't like the phrase, somebody fell into sin. It gives the idea that we were walking along, minding our own business, and all of a sudden we found ourselves in sin and didn't even know it. Can I tell you this? Every sin we commit, we do it knowingly. And we do it by our own choice. And Paul tells the churches of Galatia, he says this, Stand fast, therefore. In the now, stand fast is a, is a single word, or a single uh, statement here uh, leading into this idea that we can't have one really without the other. But it's interesting that in order to stand fast, you do have to be able to stand on these things. That means you've got to have some foundation that you're standing on. And then there needs to be a fastness to it. There needs to be a steadfastness to it. There needs to be a, a, an idea of not being moved. I'm from South Florida originally, and I re- remember the hurricanes coming through. They just had one a few days ago come through down there. I remember watching the large trees that we had in our backyard, some of them oak trees, some of them big pine trees with roots that went way out and way down into the ground. I remember watching some of them. And some of them would lean and some of them would be uprooted. And others, they stood there and they were firm and they were grounded. They didn't budge. Can I tell you this? The idea of being steadfast is to sink our roots in the doctrine of God's Word. To sink our roots in our relationship and our walk with God. To have a diligence and a zeal and a desire to live for Him each and every day. And so Paul says this, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free. I want to encourage us today that we be steadfast and that we stand fast in this liberty. But there are some things that Paul warns about in here. He says in verse number 7, and I do want you to see this, Chapter 5 and verse number 7. In fact, I'm going to, let's, let's read down to, um, let's just read down to verse 7. We'll start in verse number 2. Behold, I, Paul, say unto you, that if you be circumcised, Christ shall profit you nothing. So he's saying, it's not by your works, it's not by the keeping of the law. For I testify again to every man that is circumcised that he is a debtor to do the whole law, which is impossible to do. Uh, so he says, I'm telling you, you're going to be a debtor to the whole law. Christ is become of no effect unto you. Whosoever of you is justified by the law, you are fallen from grace. In other words, you're not saved by the grace that God is offering you. You're trying to be saved by the law. And Paul was very clear about this. You're not going to make it that way. For we through the Spirit wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. 
For in Jesus Christ neither circumcision availeth anything, nor uncircumcision, but faith which worketh by love. Ye did, and I want you to notice verse 7, run well. Who did hinder you that ye should not obey the truth? And I want us to look at verse 7 for a moment, because there are a couple of thoughts here that I want to bring out that Paul is using to warn the churches of Galatia. There are some things that will cause us to not be able to stand fast in this liberty that God's given to us, this, this freedom from sin. And it doesn't mean that, that we will never be sinning again, but it has no more a reign over us. It now, it now there is a way of escape. Now we have the Holy Spirit to convict us and to tell us we shouldn't do those things. And if we sin now, we do it with a great rebelliousness of trying to do it. Just, just going out of our way to make that choice. In verse number 7, he says, "Ye did run well. There was a time that this, these churches were doing what they should have done, and according to the grace of God, and according to the Holy Spirit of God, they were running the race well. But notice the question that he asks. He says, Who did hinder you? First of all, there was a wrong influence that they allowed to come into their life. There was a wrong influence that they allowed to come into their life. We talk about and preach about standards. A lot of people say, well, boy, that sure is legalistic. No, no, no. Legalistic is saying you have to abide by those standards in order to be saved. We never say that. We say you ought to abide by those standards because you are saved. Because you've already trusted Christ as your Savior. He's already made you a new creature. And the Holy Spirit of God lives inside of you. In fact, if you'll go down to verse number 16 for a minute, look at what Paul commands the church. He says in verse number 16, This I say then, walk in the what? Walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the what? Lust of the flesh. Walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Here's, here's, the, here's the war, the battle. Verse 17, For the flesh lusteth against the Spirit and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary, the one to the other, so that ye cannot do the things that ye would. Paul said, the Spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And what he was saying by that is, this flesh is warring with my Spirit. And the things that I want to do, I want to glorify God, I want to please Him, I want to live, I'm finding it to be a very difficult thing here. Why? Because some influences are allowed into our lives. In verse 7, he said, Who did hinder you? There was someone or some ones that came into the, the influence of, this, of these churches that were, that were exerting a wrong influence, a worldly influence, an influence that was enticing and drawing them from walking in the Spirit to walking in the flesh and fulfilling the works of the flesh. And so I would say this this morning, first of all, that if we're going to be able to stand fast in the liberty that Christ has given to each of us, we need to be careful of the influences we allow into our lives. You say, well, I, I don't see how it's hurting anyone it is. You cannot be around that kind of an influence, a worldly and an ungodly influence, any length of time without it causing some change in your life. I've watched, and I've over the years, I was a youth pastor for many years, and I've watched so many young people, so many young people, 
I've had personal experience numerous times of young people that were raised in church in godly homes and learned how to, to live life the way that God wants them to live. They had everything going for them. They had trusted Christ as their Savior. And then they decide that they're going to go to a, a, a college and they're going to go to a, a, maybe a secular college that is going to be in some field that they want to pursue in, in their career. And folks, I have no problem with you following the career path that God gives you to do. But you've got to be careful of the influences. And I've watched so many of these young people that will go off to a secular college and, they're, and as I've talked to them and said, uh, this is not a good idea. You're going to come out of there uh, very, very uh, different than you went in. And they've said, I don't know how many times I've heard young people say this. It won't happen to me because I'm strong in my faith. And I tell you this, you cannot be in that kind of an influence for any length of time and it not do something to you. Years ago, an owner of a coal mine was coming to visit uh, one of his mines and his daughter came with him. She was wearing a brand new white dress, a beautiful dress. And they, uh, they were going to go and, and tour the mine. And the fellow told the young lady, she, he said, we've got some other clothing over here in the workhouse. You'll need to go change. And she got, she got upset. She was one of those spoiled girls. And she says, I'm not going to change. i got this beautiful white dress. I want to wear it. She said, there is nothing that can stop me from going down into that mine with this dress on. He said, no, ma'am, there isn't. But I can promise you this, you won't come out with a white dress on. Because you cannot be in that kind of an environment and it not affect you. It is crucial that we as God's people surround ourselves with the things that give us the best possible chance of walking in the Spirit and not fulfilling the lust of the flesh. To make sure that we have the right acquaintances in our life. Make sure that we have the right kinds of literature in our lives. Make sure we have the right kinds of entertainment in our lives. Make sure that we have the right kind of church family in our lives. Because all of this works to affect our lives. Paul's warning this church. He says, I want you to stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. And he tells them in verse number 7, he said, Ye did run well. Who hath hindered you? And then I want you to notice this. What did the, the wrong influence do? They hindered them from walking in the Spirit. You say, well, Pastor, what does that mean? Look what he says, verse 7. He says, Ye did run well. Who did hinder you that ye should not, what? Obey the truth. When this influence does what they do to hinder your walking in the Spirit, it will always result in disobedience to the truth. It will always be that way. You say, how do you know that? Because he tells us in verse number 17 that these two things are constantly warring one against the other. It's in a, it's in a giant tug of war. One is pulling one way, the other is pulling the other, and they cannot coexist. I don't care who is standing in a pulpit today in, in buildings that they call churches and tells you that you can mix worldliness with godliness. It doesn't mix. If we're saved today, if we've trusted Christ as our Savior, then Paul's charge is that we walk in the Spirit and not fulfill the lust of the flesh. They're warring one with the other. I want you to notice... As we go on over in verse number uh, sixteen, uh, verse number seventeen, I want to read there and further down. 
He says, For the flesh lusteth against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary the one to the other, so that ye cannot do the things that ye would. But if ye be led of the Spirit, ye are not under the law. Now, the works of the flesh... Now, sit up and listen careful to this. Now, the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these. He's going to give a list of them. And I want you to notice, it is not an exhaustive list. It is a list of types of things that are works of the flesh. He starts with this. He says, Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, that's a big word, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations. And up until now, we look at that and say, Well, I'm doing pretty good. I don't have many or any of those. He goes on. Wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings. And you know, unless you say, well, my, my fleshly, worldly lifestyle wasn't listed in there, he says this, and such like. What he's trying to do is give a comparison here. He just said that the flesh and the Spirit are warring one with the other. He's charging these churches in Galatia, stand fast in this. You've been delivered from the bondage of sin. You've been given the Holy Spirit of God. Stand fast in that liberty. Don't use liberty as an occasion for the flesh. Don't, don't just say, because I've got liberty, I can go live however I want to. He says, no, no, stand fast in this. Stand fast in walking in the Spirit. Don't let somebody come and hinder you so that you're disobedient to the truth. He speaks of the works of the flesh, and then he says this, but, verse number 22, the fruit of the Spirit. So you see the contrast he's making here? We have now the works of the flesh. We have the fruit of the Spirit. He says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love. That should be something we try to emulate. Joy, peace, long-suffering. Here's a good one. Gentleness, goodness, faith. Here's another good one. Not that they're not all good, because they're all from the Holy Spirit, but meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. And they that are Christ's, have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. If we live in the Spirit, let us also, what? Walk in the Spirit. Don't just confess Christ. Don't just proclaim that you're a Christian. Follow Christ. Be a Christian. Walk in the Spirit. Paul says this, Stand fast, therefore. Stand fast. You're going to have to do a few things to stand fast. You're going to have to be careful of your acquaintances. You're going to need to deepen your roots in your walk with God and your, your understanding of the truth. Notice the Bible says this in uh, verse number 9. He says, And let us not be what? Weary. I'm sorry, verse number 9 of chapter 6. Let us not be weary in well-doing. 
For in due season ye shall reap, we shall reap if ye faint not. We need to be careful of our acquaintances. We need to be steadfast to walk in the Spirit. We need to brace against it. We need to sink our roots deep. We need to be unmovable, unbendable. And then lastly, I would say this. We need to not weary in the battle. We need to not weary in the battle. I was talking to a fellow years ago. His name is Kenny Baldwin, dear friend of mine, pastor friend of mine. We were getting ready to go and we were at a youth conference and he was getting ready to preach and we were in the back getting ready to come out uh, on to the platform and we had the time of prayer together. And I remember asking him, I said, Brother Kenny, are you ready? He said, ready or not, here we come. And I said, well, are you tired? And he made this statement, I'll never forget it. He said, Brother Greg, we ought to always be tired in the ministry, but we should never be tired of it. We ought to be busy, diligent, walking in the Spirit. There's a battle going on, folks. And it's not just a battle between those that are lost and those that are saved trying to get people saved. It's not just the issue of salvation at stake here. It's the issue of our testimony, our conversation, our walk with God that's also a daily battle. I think sometimes when we get this idea that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers of rulers of wickedness in high places, that we're thinking in terms of, I'm out here trying to win people to Christ and Satan's fighting it. That's usually what we think when we think of this. Can I tell you this? The battle is raging strong in my heart and in your heart today. Not just for the salvation of men's souls, but for whether we're going to walk in the flesh or walk in the Spirit. Paul says this, stand fast therefore. In verse chapter 6, in verse number 9, he says, And be not weary in well-doing. Be not weary in well-doing. I love reading some of these Old Testament stories. These mighty men that David had. Have you ever taken time to read some of their battles? One of them took a, a, a goat's herd, this, a, a pole they used to prod goats with. And slew hundreds of Philistines with it. One man fought so long and so hard that the Bible says that when the battle was over, he couldn't even let go of the sword. The Bible says his hand claved to the sword. He couldn't even let go of it. You say, well, was he tired? I hope he was tired in the ministry. But I believe what Paul's saying here is, don't ever get tired of it. It ought to be a tiring life in the Christian life if we're serving right and we're laboring right. But we should never get weary of walking in the Spirit. He says in verse number 9, chapter 6, Let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall weep if we faint not. We get to heaven one day. I would love to hear the words, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. I often wonder if we'll hear those words. I look at I look at Christians down through history. Folks from the first century, the price they paid, the persecution they went through, and yet were faithful to God. I look at the apostles during the time of Christ, working alongside of the Lord Jesus and seeing with their own eyes and hearing with their own ears. And yet oftentimes He looked at them and said, O ye of little faith. And I think, Lord, if they 
have little faith, what must mine be like? I look at people down through history that have suffered and even died martyrs' deaths for the cause of Christ and have not recanted. They've not turned their backs. They've been steadfast and they have stood fast. And I think, Lord, could I do that? And you know what our mindset is today, typically? It's this. Boy, if that time ever came, I would stand fast for the Lord. Not if you won't stand fast now. If we don't stand fast when things are good, if we're not faithful to walk in the Spirit and to, and to put the flesh nature down while things are doing well and we have liberty and religious, uh, to, to exercise our religious liberty in our country today, we will never do it under persecution. And Paul's charge to the churches of Galatia was stand fast, therefore. Stand fast. Be careful of your acquaintances. And don't be weary in well-doing. We're either fulfilling the works of the flesh or we're producing the fruit of the Spirit. <clears throat> and I'll say this. There's an awful lot I've preached on the fruit of the Spirit in the past, but I will say this. The fruit of the Spirit is not our fruit. Did you know that? It doesn't say the fruit of Greg or the fruit of Philip. It says it's the fruit of the what? Spirit. It's His fruit that is born out in us as we yield ourselves to His leading. I think, I remember as a kid, I think a lot of us have the same mindset I did. And that was, I'd read that list and I would say, I, I, sometimes I'd go to the altar. I'd say, Lord, I want to, I want to have love and joy, and peace, and long suffering. I, I'm, I'm dedicating my life to have those things, as if it was some effort on my part to make those things happen. And I tell you this: that's fruit that is born out of a life that is yielded and submitted to Him, and walking in the Spirit day by day. It's a natural outpouring, and it ought be. There's a lot of Christians that can do a really good job of cleaning up the outside of the vessel. But they're no better than the Pharisees who washed the outside of the vessel and were filthy on the inside. May God help us to be steadfast and to stand fast in the liberty. To not get entangled with those that would hinder us and would cause us to disobey the truth. And that we would not be weary in all the times of, of effort, all the times of of battling the temptations of the flesh in the world that we live in today, to say, Lord, I want to bring my thoughts and my mind into captivity. I want to bring this body under subjection. I want to yield it to Your Holy Spirit. And I want to do it every moment of every day. Do we succeed at it? Not as well as we would like. But it ought to be the drive and the desire of our hearts. Walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Are we at the place where we've just become callous and cold and indifferent to the world we live in? We'll leave church today and for the next seven days for some of us. We're going to be out in the world living our normal, what we call our normal lives. Are we walking in the Spirit all of those days? 
Or do we just pretend to do so on Sunday? And folks, I'm not trying to be nitpicky. I'm not trying to be mean. I'm saying this out of a part of concern. It's no different for this pastor than it is for you. It is a battle every single day. Every moment of every day. We are in this world. It's a wicked world and getting more wicked by the day. The Bible says it's waxing worse and worse. And while we are in the world, we are not to be of the world. If we're not walking in the Spirit, if we're not being standing fast and being steadfast in these things, if we're allowing influences to come into our life and we don't worry about trying to get them out that are worldly influences, it's not going to be long before we will have been hindered to disobey the truth. Are we being steadfast? Are we standing fast in this liberty that God has given to us by giving us the Holy Spirit? Walk in the Spirit. Walk in the Spirit. I, we just finished a, in Sunday school a Bible survey. I was shocked. I was telling Brother Crow at dinner the other night. I was shocked when I got into some of the New Testament epistles. I've taught Bible surveys before. I've gone through the books before. But I was so struck this time through at seeing how many of these epistles address, most of them directly, and the few that don't deal with it directly deal with it indirectly, about being careful of false teachers and false doctrine that comes into their churches. And what these writers are saying under the influence of the Holy Spirit of God and under His inspiration is be careful of the influences you allow into your life because they will affect you. And be not weary. Be well Let's stand together. Father, I pray that You'll bless the preaching of Your Word. May the desire of our hearts this morning be to walk in the Spirit. It is so easy for us we are so prone 